Welcome back to the regular episode of the podcast and episode 55. There is some good news this week as we added two new countries with listeners, and that always makes me smile. I'm hopeful that you enjoyed the special episode last week. It was at the last minute that I decided to put the lost decade aspect of my journey that I referred to earlier because I was finding it difficult to integrate it into normal episodes. Please let me clarify two important points. Yes, PTSD and MDD are very real. I encourage you to be supportive and yet, in my view, careful not to treat people with PTSD with kit gloves. It's really up to them and not you to manage this illness. Fortunately, today, there are more ways to get support across a very wide spectrum that may or may not work for individual cases. I have sometimes wondered for myself if things would be different if the kinds of resources that are available today were available then. I also have had long periods of what I used to call remission, until my therapist also used that term. The last point that I think is important is that there were a lot of times in my life where you were supposed to, as they say, heads down, pencils up, meaning you don't raise your hand and just do your work. Well, I've never been like that. For me, being outspoken and leaning forward as far as I could has paid dividends, to be sure. When I was younger, in my mind, it was to make my parents proud of me, like most people, and to put myself above the events that marred my life. I think I was trying to prove that naysayers and bullies were wrong about who I was. Getting back to the University of Texas, once I had a good sense of the lay of the land, this assignment became more and more rewarding, especially as a commandant of cadets. Thankfully, the commander let me take the reins without a lot of guidance or direction, and that was great. Thinking about how best to help cadets both get ready for active duty and to have opportunities to help them come up with solutions was one of the best aspects of the job. It was seeing firsthand how much time the cadets devoted to ROTC that also helped my focus on the accreditation project. They really needed to get credit for at least some of the time that they were in class, leadership development, and so forth. I mentioned that I persuaded upper-class cadets to mentor newer cadets, especially those who were not on scholarship as freshmen. I don't recall a cadet who wouldn't step forward for this opportunity, and of course I realized that as the COC, it might have sounded more like a request than a suggestion. There were three organizations that also, by design, built camaraderie, and helped informal mentoring among cadets. The first was the Arnold Air Society. This was, in some ways, like a Greek life organization where they would take on service projects, build camaraderie, and develop additional leadership skills. A sister organization were the Silver Wings, formerly called the Angel Flight. These were students at the university who were not in ROTC and, more often than not, a girlfriend of a cadet. They were primarily a service organization and a way for them to participate with the Arnold Air Society cadets and experience some of the exciting programs that were going on. And they also added benefit to the detachment. It was a way to help integrate the program on campus, also beyond members of the cadet wing. A new organization that was formed on their own were called the THUDS. Now, I don't remember what the acronym stood for, it was an informal cadet group that focused on fitness within the cadet wing. There were both male and female cadets within the thuds, 
And while it wasn't an official ROTC organization, they shared what they were doing and their activities with the cadre as we were invited to participate in some of their competitions, which actually one of the staff did. I'm sure you guessed it wasn't me. As I look back, each of these organizations contributed to the overall building of a closer cadet wing, while also blending informal activities with the formal ones. Cadets also volunteered to participate in growing the wing through programs under the guise of the recruiting officer. One such event was calling prospective candidates that either voiced interest in the program at one of the recruiting events, and there was some cold calling by the cadets after hours. They would organize in the admin area where there were several workstations with telephones. There was a memorable time when I had a friend coming through Austin that I worked with on the air staff. She was an exceptional officer who got promoted twice below the zone and was already a full colonel. We stopped by the ROTC building and I didn't even know there was a recruiting event going on. Once I saw the cadets were there, I introduced her. What happened next was both predicted and surprising with the reaction, especially of the female cadets. There weren't a lot of female full colonels and certainly the cadets hadn't come in contact with one. They were pretty excited to see her. The female cadets especially looked up above the partitions a little like meerkats and it was at this event that I came to better understand that while I believed then and still do that mentoring others is something that bridges beyond race and gender, having the opportunity to see those who are more like you being successful certainly has an advantage. And I would double down on trying to integrate that thought going forward. With the exception of the staff at a detachment and a couple of weeks at the summer field training, few cadets have the opportunity to interact with other Air Force officers and certainly not senior ones, other than the commander. We made this more of a priority and could do that through our guest speakers for award ceremonies and other formal gatherings. In September of 1997, it was my first semester, and we had a tragic event, where a senior, Annie Weatherall, died in an automobile accident. As you would expect, the sadness would go beyond just the cadet wing. She was a bright young woman who had great promise and was well-respected in the wing. In concert with her parents, Colonel Stripmatter would help them create an endowed scholarship in her honor. In addition, the students sought to have the classroom named after her, and that, too, was accomplished. There was a memorial service on the campus, and the public affairs office at the university created a program for the event. On the cover was a photo of the UT Tower reflecting in the water at the Memorial Garden. I am absolutely sure that her classmates look back still and have amazing memories of Annie, and her legacy of both giving back and leading by example lives through the scholarship that is still in effect today. Through tragedy comes strength, and that's what I saw in the cadet wing. For the last few minutes, Kona has been up here laying on the table while I've been doing the recording like she sometimes does, and today she's not even trying to play with the microphone. Anyway, each year at the end of the spring semester, there would be a major cadet event. We would hold a dining out. A dining out is a military traditional event where attendees wear the Air Force formal uniform called the mess dress. It very much looks like a civilian tuxedo with, of course, the military accoutrements on it. 
In addition, since it's a dining out, it's an event where outside guests would be invited. When outside guests are not invited, they're called dining ins. As is with the regular Air Force, enlisted members aren't expected to purchase and maintain a mess dress uniform and would instead wear the service uniform with a white shirt instead of a blue one and a black bow tie. This was also the attire for the cadet wing. The event is steeped in tradition, and while it would take a full episode to explain it, let me just say it is a unique event with some laughs and a bit of unique decorum where infractions are meted out in spot recognition. One of the purposes of the dining out was so cadets could both attend a formal military event with unique tradition and bring an outside guest to share in the experience. The cadet wing would be responsible for preparing for the event, and it was one of the most looked forward to events of the year. At the start of the event, everyone gathers in the lobby and awaits the chimes, indicating it is time to go inside. This was a chance to meet and mingle, and as the COC, I would grab the cadet wing commander and let them know that it was time to be the host of the evening by meeting all the guests. We would go around the room and meet parents and guests of the cadets. I would introduce the cadet wing commander and, of course, say something complimentary of each cadet. Our goal was to meet at least 75% of the guests, and we usually met that goal and more. You know that I'm not the best at remembering names and faces. In fact, I'm probably one of the worst. So I'm meeting the juniors and seniors as parents each year, and I would likely see them again at the commissioning ceremony. They would come up to me and chat, and I have no idea whose son or daughter was being commissioned. This is when I learned a great way to respond without having to embarrass myself with my lack of memory. I would say, hello, it's so good to see you. This is a special day and that you came is especially memorable for everyone that is being commissioned. By that time, the senior would come by and I would make the connection. So this is the tip of the week. When you should know someone's name and just can't recall it, When the emphasis on you, you're golden. Hello, it's so good to see you. How are you today? Anyway, it's always worked for me. And it's worked for me throughout my career. Eventually, a conversation will yield a reminder of who you're talking to. Another great way to get the name when you're at a conference or other professional event is to say something like, I don't believe we exchanged cards the last time. Do you have one to share? Of course, being in the military, that's one of the best things of all. People wear a name tag, and they have rank. So at the end of the day, you can just call them sir or ma'am if they outrank you, and by their rank, otherwise. Or the better way is to be like General Bowles, who definitely had the knack to remember people he met. Down the road, you'll hear about another amazing general officer who also remembered me through the years, many years, by name. These events are great. Along the journey in ROTC, there are opportunities that are very different from my experience in OTS that gave cadets a glimpse and experience in some of the Air Force traditions, all to build camaraderie and a sense of the organization that they are aspiring to join. Having a team of officers that we had during my tenure was particularly well-rounded. We had a fighter pilot, a long-range pilot, a support officer, and an engineer. 
You may remember that there was a post office less than a quarter mile from the office as you walked toward one of the main roads in front of UT. I mentioned that I had a mailbox there, and while my reason wasn't about the benefit you are going to hear about, it did pay a nice dividend in that way. Sometimes we would have a cadet that had a hiccup. I say hiccup because they were very minor infractions or issues that needed a little emphasis from me in my role as COC. I would see the cadet in the building and say, "Hey, come walk with me as I get my mail." And here's just one example. There was a cadet with great promise, and we saw that from the first day he walked into the ROTC office. Unfortunately, he got an MIP or minor in possession, and that has to be reported. Since he wasn't on scholarship at the time, in situations like this, it's a chance to help shift that modeling to the core values of the Air Force. As we walked to the post office, I emphasized the core values of integrity first, service before self, and excellence. All we do. These walks were informal and not documented because, in my view, it was hopefully to guide the cadet past the event. After all, I also believe that looking through the windshield. Is always better than the rearview mirror, and that's what I did this time as well. The short walk both to and from the post office would just be a ten or fifteen minute walk, just enough time to make a point or so, and not so long that it was more like a lecture. And while you never know if it's going to connect, what I do know that in this particular situation, this amazing individual told me that years later. He used to walk to the post office in his own mentoring of others along his journey. I would also use these walks to the post office with my colleagues to press a position on an issue that we are wrestling with at the detachment, and I would, of course, also just be able to get my mail for the day. So it was a win-win situation. Cadets could be commissioned after any semester once they fulfilled all the requirements, and it even could be after the summer session. And sometimes, now that they're second lieutenants. They are delayed going to their assignment, usually because they are awaiting their slot in pilot training. In those cases, they would remain at the detachment for a relatively short period of time and become part of the staff. For some reason, the boss would assign those to me. The interesting thing is that we saw how quickly they would shift their perspective from student to Air Force officer. I remember that in staff meetings, the newly commissioned officer. Would hear about issues that we were dealing with, and often involved cadets that just a week before were fellow cadets of these new lieutenants. At the first meeting or so they would attend, their view would almost always tilt in favor of the cadet. As time progressed, and it wasn't very long at all, they would start tilting more away from favoring the cadet. The shift was interesting to watch as they were seeing the cadet wing through a different lens. It was rewarding to see the shift, and equally positive for the staff to hear a former cadet's perspective that we may not have a sense that affected the cadet wing. And here's the other leadership lesson from this episode that sometimes leaders forget: the higher you go up in an organization, the less policies that you make affect you. And in this small organization, the cadre is at the top of the organization for the cadet wing. And yet, few of our policies affected us. The best example I can give is this: when a senior leader of an organization publishes a parking policy, it affects everyone in his or her organization. 
The only one it doesn't affect is the leader. She or he has their own parking space and oftentimes a company or government vehicle to boot. It may sound like a simple example, but I think you get the point. When we had these opportunities for delayed officers in the detachment, it was a learning experience for the cadre as well, and I think it helped us realize that generational and situational changes cannot be overlooked between the perspectives of the cadre and the lens through which the cadet sees the program. Even for staff that went through ROTC, it was years ago, maybe even more than a decade, and a lot would have changed. In addition to the cadet wing, we also had 20, maybe 25 or so officers attending the University of Texas earning a master's degree across a couple of disciplines. Since the commander had command authority, while these officers were earning their degrees, they were attached to us administratively. Generally, the only workload on us was for the administrative staff to process leave or other routine paperwork. Yet there were times when we were the office people would go to when there was an issue affecting someone on the campus. It was summer break, and one day a member of the admin staff called me and said, please come down to the office. The commander was out, and there was an irate student with a complaint. The student said, quote, one of your military men gave me AIDS. Um, why don't we go into an office where there's a bit more privacy? The individual continued to tell me that one of the male military members had sex, and he had tested positive for AIDS. I told him we would look into it and thanked him for coming by. When the commander got back, I briefed him, and we had the name of the subject individual, and the commander said, call him in and let's start an investigation. Um, boss, I don't think we can do that. With the policy of don't ask, don't tell, we cannot question him on his sexual orientation and that if the individual who made the accusation wanted to take action, they were more appropriate methods for him to do so. The commander was pretty adamant, so I encouraged him, as best you can when he's the boss, to call the staff judge advocate or the legal office at the region as well. To make a long story short, Don't Ask, Don't Tell became the policy in 1994, and this was just a few years later. Fortunately, no action was taken on the Air Force's part, and we didn't hear back again from the young man who came into the office. The period of Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a curious period in the military, because many had personal perspectives that were aligned with the previous policy, and despite that, few had experience with accusations or issues associated with potential gay service members. I share this story because on a personal level, I was watching how both the commander and the legal office at the region were addressing the allegation and trying to figure out what was, quote, the right answer or solution to the situation. Today, the world in the military is very different with regard to gay service members. The worldview on LGBT citizens and issues is also different from the last century. Oh, wait. That makes me feel old, talking about experiences from the last century that I remember. Anyway, I grew up as perspectives of both Asian Americans and LGBT citizens largely changed. And in some ways, I very much envy the young people today who are paving their own journey in a society that has definitely moved forward. 
and the next generations will be in a different place as well, hopefully for the better for everyone. Now, next week, I'll share some more stories and the very cool places that we had commissioning ceremonies for our new lieutenants and some of the very interesting things that happened during the process of the accreditation project. I'll also share some unique ways that I did my own little research on companies to decide whether or not you should invest in them in the market. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening and sharing the podcast to keep it growing. Have a great week.